I'm excited to be here today as we continue this series that we started several weeks ago just entitled Follow Me. And where this title came from, if you've not been a part of the services in the last couple of weeks, is from an invitation that Jesus extended to the first disciples. In fact, we see this recorded by at least to at least six of the original 12 apostles or disciples that Jesus issued this invitation. This is all he said is come and follow me. So here's really what he was saying. He's saying, hey, I'm not asking you to change anything. I'm not, I'm not giving you a list of things to do. I'm not giving you a list of things to stop doing. He's saying, all I'm doing is asking you to begin to follow me. And here's why. Jesus knew that if there would be a group of people who would associate themselves with him, would spend time with him, would follow him where he goes, watch how he interacts, watch how he lives, that they would eventually go from followers to believers. And so ultimately our goal is that, is God wants us to believe. Everybody say believe. God wants us to believe who he is and what he's like. And so Jesus came for this reason. Jesus came to show us the Father. For so long, who God is and what God is like has been misinterpreted and misunderstood. And religious systems have hijacked who God is and held him captive by all this religious stuff. And so Jesus came to give us a clear picture of who God was and what God was like. And so he invited us, just like he did them, that if we'll just follow, that if we'll spend time with him, that if we'll follow him and watch how he interacts, watch how he treats people, watch how he loves people, that not only will we become believers about who he is and what God is like, but ultimately it would change who we are. See, because your goal, and I want you to know this, listen, your goal is never just to be a church attender. If you're serious about this thing called Christianity, My challenge the first week was for you to abandon Christianity, was for you to give up on this American idea of Christianity because our goal is never, we're never called to be Christians. We are called to be disciples. We are called to pattern our life after the one that we follow. We're called to love like him, to treat people like him, to worship God like him, that the more we follow, the more we'll believe. And the more we believe, the more we will be disciples and pattern what we watch in the life of Jesus. And so... Last week, if you weren't here, we followed Jesus to church. Kind of interesting, if you weren't here, I mean, Jesus got jazzed up at church. He was, uh, he was pretty fired up about some things that were happening. He wasn't the, he wasn't the lead worshiper there like we thought. He wasn't, the, uh, he wasn't the teacher there like we thought. Jesus went in cleaned house, literally. And if you weren't here, I would encourage you to go back and listen to that. Today, we're going to follow Jesus to the water. To the water. Everybody say to the water. Now, the water, when I say the word water, what do you think of? I think probably, like me, it brings up a lot of different images. You know, when I think of water, I think of showers. I think of drinking water. I think of storms. I think of ocean water. I mean, there's a lot of different connotations for water. But at least for me, when I think about water, it's not a a neutral substance. Like water either has these really good kind of properties and this real good kind of iconic ideas behind it, or it's negative. For example, you know, if you've gone out and you've worked incredibly hard for a day, man, you're hot and sweaty and gritty and grimer. There's nothing like getting in a nice shower and getting clean, right? There's nothing about just that refreshing feeling of getting clean. If you're thirsty, I mean, I'm all about some Coke. I know some of you are all about some Mountain Dew or whatever it is you drink, coffee. Some of you get jacked up on some Starbucks. But let's be honest, when you're just really thirsty, there's nothing like just a clean glass of ice water, man, just to quench your thirst, right? So it's like water has like these really good connotations, but water also has some negative connotations. When you think about water, again, you think about storms, you think about rainstorms, you think about the ocean. 
Now, I know for some of you, you think of the ocean in good terms. Let me just tell you, the word for ocean, another word for ocean is shark buffet. Because that's what it is. I just want you to know that when you get in the ocean, you're climbing on a shark's dinner plate. And you just can't argue with it. I, like, I'm not a fan of the ocean. It's a demonstration of my love for my wife that every year we go to the beach. Like, I enjoy the beach, but that's it. Like, I don't really want to go much further than that because, you know, I'm all about the swimming pool when there's nothing there to eat you, bite you, sting you, slime you. I just don't like it. In fact, if you ever are with me in the ocean, I just want you to know that there's a good chance if a shark comes by us that I'm going to push you in front of the shark and swim to shore. And listen, don't be mad because if the sharks eat, shark eats you as your pastor, there's a good chance that I've led you to Jesus, and so you get to go to heaven. In fact, the way I view it, you probably owe me because I helped you to get there quicker. So it's a win-win. So, I, you know, so again, water, think about this. Water, for us, it has this positive and negative connotation. And this is true, and you see this in Scripture as well. Almost every time water is mentioned, it has some kind of positive or negative twist on it or connotation. It's never mentioned there just for no reason. It's always put or always inserted or always mentioned for some significance. Let me just give you an example. In Isaiah 44, verse 3, is a great picture of how water, the idea of water, the thought of water, is this beautiful picture. Watch this. It says, For I will pour out water to quench your thirst and to irrigate your parched fields. This is God's promise. Keep going. He says, And I will pour out my spirit on your descendants and my blessing on your children. Here's what God is saying. God is saying the same way you take dry land that can't grow anything and you pour water onto it and it brings life. God says, my presence, my anointing, the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. He's saying, man, it'll bring refreshing to you. It'll bring renewing to you. It'll bring life to you. Listen, if you're dying on the inside, God is saying it's the presence of the Holy Spirit that'll be like water to you and bring you back to life. Come on, somebody. That's like his great promise of God's presence and what it does. But here's another scripture in Isaiah 43 that kind of puts a negative twist on the idea and the thought of water. It says this, When you go through deep waters, I'll be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. So it's like this idea that water is kind of, it's kind of like the presence of God. Water is refreshing and it's cooling and renewing. But also water is like a storm and it's like rivers of difficulty. In fact, some of you guys can say how you've been through rivers of difficulty. Like you've gone through seasons in your life where you felt overwhelmed. You know, if you're in a, if you're in a, uh, in a, in a really a river that's kind of raging and, you know, it has heavy motion in it, you know, what it li- you know what it feels like to feel like you're out of control and you're struggling to keep your head above water. So God says water sometimes is it's kind of a picture of difficulty. It's a picture of storms in our life. And so today we're going to follow Jesus to the water and uh, we're not going to look at it in a good connotation. We're going to look at kind of this idea of water in this negative light. Check this out. Here's the story in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 8 as we follow Jesus to the water. It says, Then Jesus got into the boat and started across the lake with his disciples. Suddenly, everybody say that. Okay, y'all are saying that way too south for me. I need you to come up north. I need you to cross the Mason-Dixon line because it's not suddenly. Listen, this word is like suddenly. Come on, everybody say that. Suddenly. There's got like some oomph on it. Suddenly a fierce storm struck the lake with waves breaking into the boat. So I want you to know something. This word is used a lot in Scripture to this word suddenly. And I want you to know, listen, suddenly's happened in all of our lives where like life is going okay and suddenly... You hear something. Suddenly, you find out a report. 
right? You think you're healthy and you go to the doctor and suddenly you find out that you've been diagnosed with something you feared your whole life. Maybe your marriage isn't where you want it to be, but you think you're doing okay and suddenly you get served with divorce papers. You think your kids are doing okay and suddenly you find out that they're making some decisions that really are not good for them and good for your family. You go into your boss's office thinking you're going to get a raise or promotion and suddenly you're unemployed. Here's what I want you to know is, guys, come on, listen. In the suddenlies of life, you need to know your Savior. In the suddenlies that happen for every one of us. Everybody say this, suddenly. When those moments come your way, and they will, when things happen in our life, we need to know our Savior. We need to know who it is that we're following. We need to know who it is. Because if you don't know your Savior in your suddenly moments, you'll surely drown. Right? I'm drowning. Like, we don't have anybody to hold on to. Like, it baffles me. Honestly, as a pastor, when I see people go through struggles, and I know they have no context for God. They have no context for a relationship with Christ. And I'm thinking, man, how are they making it? Because when you know your Savior in your suddenness, all of a sudden you have the strength to overcome. And so all of a sudden this storm breaks out. Here's the disciples. They're in the boat with Jesus. Suddenly the storm comes. And I want you to notice this. This, this is great. You've got to get this picture. The water isn't beating against the boat. The Bible says that it's breaking into the boat. Now, this boat, this is, this, is a, this, is a, this is not a big boat. It's certainly not a little bass boat. There's enough for the 12 disciples. Jesus is there. And uh, we've, been, we've gone on some cruises, my wife and I. Some of you I know maybe have gone on cruises. And we've been in some bad storms, some rough waters, where you're walking down the hallway to your room and you're, you know, bumping into the halls. Some of you guys have been there. I mean, man, the storm just tears even these large boats up. It's just so tough. And if you ever go on these cruises, there's the cult there, right? Anybody ever see the cult? They all have the sticker behind their ear. Anybody seen that before? If you guys have ever seen it, you go on a cruise and a lot of people have these uh, motion sickness stickers. It looks like a cult. I wasn't in it. I didn't join. But <clears throat> this boat, I want you to get this picture now. They're in this boat. This storm is so significant. It's raging so hard that you're going to see that they literally fear for their life. And in the middle of the chaos, in the middle of the suddenly... In the middle of the troubled waters, watch this. Jesus was sleeping. I mean, you have to wonder if he snored, right? Jesus is out like a light. In the middle of what the disciples are concerned about, Jesus, man, I'm shocked. I'm stunned. I'm amazed by the level of calm in Jesus. Matthew doesn't say this, where this storm is recorded in Mark as well and also in Luke. I forget which one, but one of them mentioned the fact that Jesus isn't just asleep, but he's asleep on a pillow. That's like, and you, some of you know what I'm talking about. That's the next level sleep. Because if you're tired and want to take a nap, like you can take a nap sitting up with your clothes on. Right? You can get some shut eye. You can get like a quick 15 minutes. Some of you are almost there right now as I'm talking. You're like... But if you want to get some sleep on, put some jammers on, get a pillow and a blanket, and I'm out. Wake me up in like four hours. Help me somebody. So Jesus isn't just sleeping. He's out. He's sleeping with a pillow. You've got to ask yourself a question. How can Jesus be so calm in the chaos? It's only one of two things. Either Jesus is aloof and doesn't care what's going on. Or he is absolutely aware of what's going on, but he's not concerned because it's not bigger than him. And see, the Bible says, here's what the Bible says. The Bible says that God neither sleeps nor slumbers. 
So it's not that Jesus is, is aloof. It's not that he's so in such a deep sleep that, you know, he's unaware. He knew what was going to happen before he got on the boat. He knows it's happening while he's on the boat. But I want you to know something. What worries us doesn't worry heaven. What causes us concern, what keeps us up at night, what makes us pace the floor. Man, what's, what am I going to do about my kids? What, what are we going to do about this job? God, my marriage is falling apart. And we wring our hands. Listen, what causes you to pace doesn't cause God to pace. What causes you to wring your hands doesn't cause God to wring his hands. And it's not because he doesn't care. It's because what might be too big for you is never too big for God. It's never too big. And so Jesus, he's out. He's absolutely comfortable in the chaos. And so here, here's the thing, though, that I think is wild is why all of this is happening. It's just unbelievable. Watch how the story unfolds. Verse 25. And the disciples went and woke, uh, woke him up, shouting, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. And Jesus responded, why are you afraid? You have so little faith. Then he got up and he rebuked the wind and the waves, and suddenly there was a great calm. Don't you love this? Suddenly's come and suddenly's go. Y'all need, some of you just need to write that down for you. Suddenly's come, but suddenly they, they go just as quick. Next verse, watch this. And the disciples were amazed. Who is this man, they asked, that even the winds and the waves obey him. This, this is, I think this is crazy because it looks like the disciples have, like, it looks like they have faith. They have enough faith that they go to Jesus and say, Jesus, save us. I mean, like, I don't ask everybody to save me. I only ask for help from the people who I think can help me. Are you with me? So they must believe that Jesus can help them because they go to Jesus. But then there's this anomaly of their faith, and and we have it. There's this contradiction in their faith. While they believe enough to go to Jesus, when Jesus actually shows up and he actually stops the wind and the wave, the Bible says then they're amazed. Who is this man? Listen to me. If you believe that God can do it, then you shouldn't be shocked when he comes through and does it. If we're shocked when God, I, I could, man, I can't believe God did it. Man, can you imagine what God did? If you're shocked when God shows up, it really shows us that our faith wasn't really where we thought it should be when we're going through the tough time. And Jesus knows this. Wait, wait, wait. See, this just isn't the disciples. This is us. This is me. Right? We go through these times, guys, and I, I want you to know this, where, where when storms come our way, and I know this is true for my life. Storms expose weak faith. Storms expose the condition of your faith, right? It's like a roof. Everybody has a roof on their house. If you go out into your community, into your neighborhood, into your subdivision, and you look down and you look around at all the houses, every single house has a roof. But it's not till the storms come that you find out if that roof is secure enough. It's not until the storm comes if you find out if your roof leaks. And it's the same thing, guys. Listen to this. It's the same thing. God is in the middle of this storm with the disciples. And when it happens, Jesus knows that it's showing them. Go back to verse 26. It's showing them that they have little faith. Everybody say little faith. Jesus uses this word that's not used anywhere else in biblical Greek. It's not used uh, except in the Gospels. It's not used anywhere else in classical Greek literature. It's not used anywhere else in historical Greek um, that archaeologists can find. Some people believe that Jesus literally made this word up himself. He put this word together. What's two words in the English language is one word in the Greek, and he calls them little faithers. You guys are a bunch of little faithers. You're like little faithers. You don't, you don't have enough faith. And they're like, wait a minute, we called out to you. He's like, no, 
He said, because in the middle of your chaos, in the middle of your storm, you think you're going to die, and I'm right here with you. And so he says, hey, listen, watch this. He says, you have little faith. And a lot of us, guys, we're the same way. Our faith is big when our storms are small. Have you ever noticed that? When the bills are paid, when the kids are obeying, when we got a job, when our kids are in the right classes, in the right school, getting the right grades, when our marriage is strong, then everybody, everybody serves a big, big Jesus. Man, God is in control. I love me some God. I worship you, Lord. But all of a sudden, when we start going into a big storm, for some reason, our faith is inversely affected. All of a sudden, when we're in a big storm, we have little faith. Wait until the bills aren't paid. Wait until you get a bad doctor's report. Wait until you go through a difficult season. And a lot of times, our faith starts to struggle. And guys, I want you to know something. While it is sometimes common to have big faith in little storms, in little faith in big storms, what God wants for each and every one of us is that God wants us to have big faith in big storms. God wants you to have big faith in big storms. No matter what you're going, going through, no matter how big it is, no matter how overwhelming it is, God wants you to know that you can trust him in the middle of your chaos. And so this, uh, this, this statement here, man, is, is big for me because I can honestly say this isn't always the case. I can tell you for me that this isn't always true. That sometimes my faith goes up and down. Sometimes my faith changes. But here's the challenge is, as you follow Jesus, you're eventually going to begin to believe. And so as they follow him out on the water, man, they're in the middle of this storm, and Jesus stands up. This is so great. Jesus stands up like uh, Leonardo DiCaprio on the Titanic. Oh, and he, like, speaks to the storm. You know, he, the Bible says he rebukes the storm, and immediately, this is so cool, immediately the rain stops. The winds cease and the waves calm. See, if you're not excited about that, you've been in church too long. I'm telling you, a storm was raging, getting ready to sink the boat, and Jesus rebuked it, and immediately, suddenly, it stopped. See, if God wants us to have big faith, here's the question. How do we have big faith? If God wants us to have big faith in the big storms that you and I always face, how do we have big faith? You get big faith by following Jesus. I would encourage you, if you're not doing this, that you can follow Jesus by reading your Bible. When you read the scriptures, all of them, but in context here today, specifically the Gospels, when you read about Jesus, it might seem like just another book. I'm not saying you won't have questions about what you read. I'm not saying that there won't be things that you don't understand. But the Bible says that something happens magically. When you read God's word, when you follow Jesus in the scripture, it builds your faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. If you want to have great faith, come on, everybody say great faith. If you want to have great faith, you got to spend time in the word. You got to follow Jesus through the scripture. But I can tell you this, not just following Jesus through the scripture, but when you follow him in real life, something happens when God shows up personally in your life. Is there anybody here, you got a testimony how God has showed up personally, how God has broke through in your life. You know God rescued you from a desperate situation. You know God showed up in your marriage. God showed up and provided for you in a time of need. Anybody here, you got a personal time where you followed Jesus and he showed up, wave at me. See, that's this, what that does is that builds our faith because we're in the middle of that storm and we're like, God, how do I come through? And when Jesus shows up, all of a sudden you can look back at that and say, God is faithful. See, here's what Jesus was doing when he was on the bow of the boat. He was demonstrating, this was for the disciples. This wasn't, he knew what he could do. He calmed the storm. 
to demonstrate to the disciples in the middle of their chaos that he has authority over every circumstance that we'll ever face in life. There's nothing too big for God. He's got this. Let me tell you, he's got this. Everybody say, he's got this. In the chaos, he's got this. In your storm, he's got this. In your troubled waters, he's got this. In your depression, anxiety, in your marital troubles, in the conflict with your kids, in the garbage that's going on at work, he's got this. In this verse here, in verse 26, not only calls him little faith, then he says this. He says, then he got up and he rebuked the wind. This is kind of interesting because the word rebuke, he could have said a lot of things. He could have said, you know, hey, hey, stop it, you know, chill out, relax, stop. In the name of love. I mean, he could have said a lot of things, but the Bible says he gets up and he rebukes the wind. This is why this is interesting, is because this is the same context, it's the same word used when Jesus rebukes demoniacs. When Jesus confronts people that are so bound with spiritual attack, the way he handles it, the Bible says he rebukes the demons and casts them out. Why is that important? Because maybe, just maybe, the reason Jesus handled this storm the same way he handled demons is because maybe this storm was a spiritual attack. Think about it. Not everything we go through in life is just bad luck or bad circumstances. If you're a Christ follower, you believe in a God up there, you believe in God's Holy Spirit with you, there's not just a good spiritual realm. We have a real spiritual enemy who really wants you to fail, who really wants to tempt you, who really wants to bring struggle into your life. And so maybe, just maybe, the reason Jesus rebuked the wind and the storm is because the enemy was behind that trying to diminish or stop the disciples from following Jesus, which means this, and here's, here's what it, why it matters to me, is it, it, the Bible is not clear on this, which means whether it's natural or whether it's spiritual, no matter what we're going through that's too big for us, it's never too big for God. No matter what we're facing that's overwhelming us, it will never overwhelm our Savior. He is big enough to bring us through the storm. He's big enough to shout that storm down. And so he rebukes the wind and the waves, and suddenly there's a great calm. And when it happens, man, again, the disciples, they're like, who is this man? Who is this man? And I just, I want to help you with this. I get, I get aggravated when I hear other people, especially preachers and pastors, condemn people for not having enough faith. There's no person in the New Testament, no person in the New Testament, not one of the disciples that just believed all the way all the time. Every one of them had to go through a season of developing their faith. Every one of them, and a lot of times, the moment of faith where their faith grew was because of the situation they were in. Their daughter was sick. Their daughter died. They had a servant that was sick. They themselves were lame and couldn't walk, and Jesus showed up. And in a moment, they followed Jesus, and when God broke through, all of a sudden they believed, surely this is the Son of God. This is, this is, this is a miracle. Like all of a sudden they believe. Listen to me. If you're here and you're struggling with believing, don't give up. Keep following Keep getting in the word and following in scripture. Keep following and practically in your life. And you will find that God is faithful in your life to deliver you and to give you strength in the storms of this life. I promise you, because that's who he is. And that's who he's came as we followed him to find out who he is. And if you're here today and you're like, Pastor Steve, man, it's still raining in my storm. Like, I get it, Pastor Steve, like, but man, you said there is suddenly left. I've been in this season for a long time. 
and it just keeps raining. It's like a downpour, and everybody else is kind of through their tough cycle, and everyone else has been through their tough season. Pastor, why am I still going through it? And I just want you to know something today, that, that sometimes in our life, sometimes in the things that we go through, that God sometimes will allow those situations. God sometimes, hear me, he's in control. That's not the question. He loves you. That's not the question. So if you're still in the storm, the reason is because sometimes God will allow those stormy seasons into our life because he uses those stormy seasons to build our faith. How do we get big faith? Because when we go through storms, we trust God and it develops us to get stronger. Listen to what the gospel of James says. Watch, or James says, James chapter 1. Dear brothers and sisters, when trouble of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity. For, come on, church. For pure dread. For great anxiety, for utter woe is me. Come on, church. Consider an opportunity for great joy. Another translation, the Message Bible says it this way throw a party when trouble comes. Listen, we throw parties when trouble leaves. We get excited when the bills get paid, when we right, our marriage gets restored, when everything's great. That's when we get excited. God says, no, listen, if you're a follower of mine, you should get excited when, when trouble comes your way. Why? Verse 3. For you know, come on, read it with me. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So watch this. So again, it's the storms of this life. It's the troubled water that we go through. It's the challenges that we face. It's sometimes it exposes, exposes that our faith is maybe not where it needs to be. It's maybe not as strong as first suspected. It's maybe not as deep the roots as we once hoped. But that shouldn't be to shame you. It shouldn't be to guilt you into something's wrong with your spirituality, that you don't love God enough. God allows those seasons because he wants you to have big faith in big storms. And so sometimes he will use big storms to bring us into big faith. God will allow difficult, difficult seasons and difficult times into our life because, not because he doesn't love us, not because he's not there, but because he wants to use those seasons for us to trust him, to develop our faith because God is big all the time. For a lot of us, man, we begin, to, we begin to view God in the context of our circumstances. We see God in the lens of what we're going through. If it's bad, then somehow God's not in control. God doesn't want you to see him in the lens of your circumstance. God wants you to see your circumstance in the lens of who God is, which means if God is bigger and God is greater and God is more in control, if God has the absolute authority over every situation and every circumstance, we can have confidence in who he is, that everything's going to be all right, that we're in his care and he's in control and we're going to make it to the other side, that he can stand on the bow of your boat, your situation, your circumstance, and say, peace, be still. And it can still in your life. And so Jesus says, hey, come follow me to the water. And they get a lesson. They probably wished while it was happening they didn't have to learn. But when it was over, they were glad they learned it. There's a verse. It's not up here. As I get ready to close, <clears throat> the Bible says this. The Bible says it rains on the just and the unjust alike. Think about that. It rains on the just and the unjust alike. Now, that can mean one of two things, again, because water has a negative connotation or a positive connotation. It either means, in a good way, that God's blessings, God's presence is poured out, whether you're bad or good, 
Whether you've obeyed God or whether you've struggled, whether you got it all together or you're falling apart, God is good enough to rain his presence on you and pour out his love into your life. And I like to think that that's part of what it is, that God is good even when I'm not, right? I mean, that's like, that fires me up that God is good in spite of me. Or, or it's this other side. That troubles come on the just and the unjust alike. Difficult times come, which means you can love God, be passionate about God, be a God follower, have all the faith in the world in God, and sometimes rain, sometimes difficult circumstances will still come your way. See, the crazy thing is, when we go through tough times, we start to examine what's wrong with us. Like, what's wrong with me? And God's like, it's not really you. God's like, I want you. I want your faith. I, want, I don't want to fix you. I want you to know who I am. I want you to put your trust in me. I want you to know that you can count on me. Because here's the thing. Every person in this room has a storm right now. There's no one in this room that doesn't have a situation in their in their life that you wouldn't change if you had the ability to do it. That you wouldn't tweak, you wouldn't change, you wouldn't make it better. Some of your storms are greater than others. But at the end of the day, here's what we realize. We can't, there's things we don't have control over, things we can't fix. But I want you to know that the Savior you serve is the Lord of glory. He's the King of kings. He's the God of all creation in the middle of your tough times. And to me, the greatest thought about this story is this, is that when the storm came and, man, the waves were pouring into the boat, they didn't have to cry out, Jesus, where are you? Man, where's he at? He's never here when I need him. In the middle of the chaos, Jesus was right there in the middle of it all. It's like this beautiful picture that we just don't get to discover who God is, that he has all authority over circumstances, but we get to discover who we are. We're precious enough, even in the storms, if he doesn't abandon us, he doesn't walk out on us, that in the middle of your chaos, your creator is right there with you to bring us peace. And so I want to pray today that if maybe the peace of your storm doesn't happen when you think it will or should or can, that you'll experience the peace of God in your heart where you need it most. So Father, in the name of Jesus, God, I pray today that Father, for every one of us in this room that are in a storm, Every one of us in this room that, God, are in the middle of a struggle. God, we're overwhelmed with circumstances at school. God, we're overwhelmed with things in work and in our family. God, I pray in Jesus' name that, Father, every person in this room, God, would just hear your cry that you're in the middle with us. You're able to calm that storm. God, what you want most is for us to have big faith. God, you want us to be able to trust you. God, you want us to know that you're enough for all our situations. And so Lord, I pray in Jesus' name, even if that means a big storm coming so we have big faith, Lord, let it come. I pray, God, you develop us and you grow us. Come on, some of you in this room right now, you might want to just whisper that prayer, Lord, help me. God, develop my faith. God, grow me to trust you more. This is what following is about. Following leads to believing. So Lord, I pray in Jesus' name, help us to diligently follow. God, help us to fervently and passionately believe. In Jesus' name, God, do it in every heart. I pray for situations in this room today where you're overwhelmed. I pray for some of you in this room that, man, there are things happening and going on around you. Man, you are so afraid or you're so filled with hurt. Man, your situation just doesn't make sense. I pray, Jesus, 
man, would be in the boat with you. I pray that you would know, man, he's right there, that he's got this. And in the middle of your chaos, he's calm because God's not going to let you drown. His hand's upon you. His grace is enough. And so, Lord, I pray, God, you'll comfort every heart in this room and help us to cast our cares on you because you care for us. In Jesus' name, and everybody who agreed said amen. Hey, listen, just before you get out of here, I just want to pray, man, just bow your heads just for another minute. Listen, if you're here and you've never, man, given your heart to Jesus. See, the Bible says we've all sinned. The Bible says all of us have made mistakes. All of us have sinned. And it's that sin that separates us from our creator. It's our sin. It's our rebellion. It's our choices that divides us from God. And I want you to know, no matter who you are and where you are today, man, that that God wants a relationship with you. He wants to be connected to you. And so he made a way. In spite of your sin, he sent his son Jesus to come and die on the cross to make a way for you to be forgiven, to make a way for you to experience his grace and love that you need. And so today, if you've never said yes to Jesus, you've never opened your heart to his forgiveness and to his grace, I want to give you an opportunity this morning. The Bible says all you have to do is say yes. All you have to do is put your faith just to believe he loves you, just to believe he died for you. And in that moment, you're saved. In that moment, you're forgiven. So all across this room, in a minute, I'm going to pray. And if you want to include it in this prayer, you want to say, Pastor Steve, pray for me. I want to give my life to Jesus today. Pastor Steve, will you pray for me? I need to experience his grace and his forgiveness. If that's you in a minute, I want you to lift your hand. If you're here and you're saying, Pastor Steve, I've been playing church for a long time, but I've never really been a follower. I've never really had a personal relationship with God for myself. And I need that relationship. I need his forgiveness for me. I'm tired of playing church. I want a relationship with God. All over this room, listen, if you want to include it in that prayer, you want to give your life to Christ for the first time, or man, you're ready to stop playing games and start really having a relationship with him, I want you to lift a hand real high all over this room. Say, Pastor Steve, pray for me. I want to give my life to Jesus today. Pray for me. I want to give my heart to him. All over this room, come on, hold it up, lift it up, and leave it up real high. Thanks in the back. Thank you in the middle. Thank you right up front. Anybody else, come on, throw a hand up. Say, Pastor Steve, pray for me. I need God's grace. I need his forgiveness. I see you all the way up in the balcony. Thanks. I want us to pray for the four or so that lifted their hands. And if you're lifting a hand, I want you to pray with me out loud as I pray. And all in the cross this room, will you join these just in one voice, man? Let's just declare our faith and our trust in him all over this room. Say, Jesus, I believe that you died for me, for my sin, so I could be forgiven. Save me, forgive me of my sin, and make me your child. I believe right now that I belong to you. In Jesus' name, and everybody who agreed said amen. Come on, let's thank the Lord today. That's awesome, awesome, awesome.